And I kept hearing a lot of people saying, look, we're all in this same boat. And they talked about this boat being this pandemic. But actually, we're not. We were in the same storm. And that storm was the pandemic. But everyone had a very different boat. And that boat was the circumstances that are very unique and specific to you. So your boat, similar to mine, Adam, is probably two young kids, homeschooling, wife, you with a job, your wife with a job, fighting over time and desk time and office space and... Who looks after the kids at what time? It's not easy. I'm, I'm not going to lie. It's not easy. Gainsight presents the Game Changer Podcast with host Adam Joseph. Hello and welcome to the Game Changer Podcast brought to you by Gainsight. That clip was from part one of the customer success and mental health panel discussion. In today's episode, you'll hear from customer success leaders at SAP, Searchmetrics, read.co.uk, and Gainsight. They discuss how to incorporate a discussion on dealing with mental health issues into the professional environment. Our guests are sharing their personal and professional struggles, insights, and achievements with refreshing honesty. And now, your host, Adam Joseph. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the next episode of the Gainsight Game Changer podcast series. I'm Adam Joseph, the Director of Customer Success at Gainsight. So in my time, I think I've recorded somewhere in excess of 60 podcasts about a number of subjects around customer success. But I actually think today's topic that we're going to focus on might be the most important yet. And that's all about mental health and how it pertains to customer success. And there's absolutely no doubt that even in what you might consider normal circumstances, living through a global pandemic and then the horrible inequality that we've seen that some members of our society has had to endure, particularly calling out Black Lives Matters and the Me Too movements, would cause stress and strain on all of us. But added to that in our professional lives, anyone who's worked in customer success can really attest to it being an incredibly demanding and hectic role. There are so many plates that you're spinning all at one point. There can be demanding customer requests, internal processes to follow, new product features to learn, and always trying to proactively ensure, of course, that your customers are achieving the outcomes that are so crucial to their ROI. So you add all of these factors together, and it can absolutely lead to negatively impacting your mental health. And from a personal standpoint, and being really transparent, I can talk to on several occasions throughout my career feeling on the verge of, of burnout, and I've seen it in so many others too. So I really felt motivated to want to talk about the subject of mental health for a number of reasons. First, I want to recognize the issue and call it out and to say to anyone listening that it's okay to not be okay. Secondly, I wanted to hear the personal experience from others because I think their stories that they tell that anyone listening to this should be able to relate to. And lastly, I want companies out there to understand what they can do for their employees. Let's learn from our past experiences to ensure that for both today and in the future, that we're creating an environment where it's okay to not only talk about these issues, but they're part of the solution rather than the problem. So I'm thrilled to say that joining me are a fabulous quartet of people who can talk from the heart about these topics. Um, I'm thrilled to welcome Emma Rogers, who's a customer success manager at read.co.uk. 
Sherry Snudnik, who is the head of client success at Search Metrics, a colleague of mine at Gainsight, Alex Tran, who's a customer outcomes manager, and Matt Miskowski, who is a previous colleague of mine, now a good buddy, who's uh, at the uh, vice president of customer success management for EMEA SAP. Guys, a very, very warm welcome to you all. Thanks, Adam. Good to Thanks, be here. Adam. Thank you. It's great to have you. So what I'd love you to do is maybe brief, uh, briefly, uh, each of you, just introduce yourself, tell us a bit about your background and role, and to add a bit of fun and levity, tell us, and to get to know you a little bit better, uh, tell us who you think you would like to play you in a film adaptation of your life. I know this is a, an audio podcast only, so we'll, the people listening to this will just be able to picture in their mind's eye who you think you look like. Emma, why don't you start off? Yeah, so... I, as Adam said, customer success manager with quite an extensive background in sales, really. When I come to the mental health side of things, my personal experience has been with dual diagnoses. So I have bipolar disorder and also borderline personality disorder. I'll tell you a little bit more about that later on. Who would play me in an autobiography? Not because she looks like me, but just because of the characters that she's played within her life. I think I'd go with Drew Barrymore. Very cool. I love that one. Yeah. Alex, why don't, why don't you go next? Great. Love <laughs> Drew Barrymore. <laughs> I, like Adam said, I'm a client outcomes manager at Gainsight. So we're teammates on the personal side, on my mental health journey. I'd say I've undergone some sort of depression in the past before just with relational strains and things of that sort won't go into too much detail but i've also dealt with people pleasing and just keep wanting to do more and yeah endless amounts of like am i doing good enough so a lot of mental battles on that and on the on the professional side been in customer success for about five years or so so I started my career as a CSM, and then I am a CSM now. So it's, uh, it's been quite a ride. Right. And, and you've got to tell us who's going to play you in the film adaptation of your life, Alex. Oh, yes. I have gotten uh, Fred Rogers a lot. I don't know if you're familiar with him, but he, <laughs> in America, he played like he had a children's show that wanted to deliver good news to the world and make clean television and entertainment. I've been told that I have his personality. Well, so, you know, I, it's I, funny. I've heard Nick Meta, the CEO of Gainsight, talk a lot about this individual. So I have Googled, Googled him before. So, and I, yeah. knowing your personality, Alex, I think that's a really good fit. Thank you. Excellent. Uh, Matt, why don't you go next? Yeah, please. So my name is Matt Wyshkowski. Um, I'm currently the VP of Customer Success here at SAP for our EMEA region. I've been in customer success roles and leadership roles probably 10, 12, 15 years, if you look at some of the various names of job titles. On the mental health side, my personal experiences, I guess a little bit similar to what Alex was talking about. I've suffered myself with depression of varying degrees of strength over many years. I think it's probably only in the last kind of 18 months, two years that I probably became a lot more comfortable talking about it. And I've, I've written a blog on it and I've done a couple of personal podcasts on it myself. But that, interestingly, and this isn't just because you work at Gainsight, but, but Nick Meta spoke probably about 18 months ago, I think, the Pulse event about being vulnerable. And it really struck a call with me as a leader in terms of actually showing that vulnerability to people. And I just took a huge jump of faith and kind of spoke very honestly and openly in, in a blog post around the suffering 
and the struggles that I have and still have. And, and I manage it. And some days I have good days, some days I have bad days and varying degrees in between that. So I'm a lot more comfortable talking about it now. My team and um, I have 70 CSMs will know that. It's something I talk very openly about frequently because I think it's important not just for me and that vulnerability piece, but also actually as a CSM industry, it is something, and I know we'll touch on this, that I think we're probably more susceptible to than a lot of other other roles. Who will play me in the film adaptation? <laughs> so we had a, a pre-kind of recording conversation. So I'm kind of, I'm going to go down that route. So me and my wife were having a heated debate about this before we went into the podcast recording. And apparently my wife said that I couldn't be Jason Statham. But then, but our next guest, who will be introduced in a minute, said, you totally can be. So I am. <laughs> so I'm going to be Jason Statham. Uh, let's be honest about it. It's probably more to do with the lack of hair than anything else. But let's go with Jason Statham. Thanks, man. Look, I, I just want to echo some of the points that Matt made. He, he was one of my inspirations when actually wanting to put this together from someone who's spoken so eloquently and from the heart about mental health and has actually given me the strength to want to talk about the same things as well. So thank you for bringing this to the attention of so many others as well, Matt. And this podcast is really homage to some of the work that you've done before. So thank you. And Shari, last but not least, if you'd love to hear from you as well. Sure. Thank you. I am Shari Srebnik, and I'm the head of client success in the U.S. for Searchmetrics. We are global, so I um, head up the U.S. team. And similar to, I guess, everybody else in terms of this topic, it is something very near and dear to me, and it is something that I am very passionate about. And I have spoken openly about my journey with mental health, just because I feel as if the more I speak out about it and people can hear that and someone that they might think, you know, you, you judge people by appearances, right? And people may think, oh, she's quote unquote normal, but seeking out help and to along the lines of personal growth, I think is important to share because if I can help reduce the stigma and encourage at least one person to seek out help for themselves, then I feel like I've done my job and I want to help do that. And that's why I've been so passionate about speaking about this publicly. I think if you're going in any way, whether you're an individual contributor in your role at work, or if you are a leader, I think vulnerability is so important. My queen, I call her Brene Brown, talks about this all the time. And her book, Dare to Lead, is really what kind of got me moving along this path. And then seeking out, like I said, help on my own and speaking to a therapist once a week, which it's been two years. And I know that's such a short journey and the path to growth is not linear, but it has helped me so much. I see a difference in myself. Again, it's okay to not be okay. What triggers me and where that may, the root cause of that may be from and how to handle it. And there's just so much around this and how to be a, a servant leader to my team and also being true to myself at the same time. So. I'm happy to be here and excited to talk about this. Who is going to play me in a film adaptation of my life? This poor person. <laughs> I don't know. I keep trying. I'm thinking of titles and I'm like, uh, I'm joking around in my head, like, please stop talking. I think that would probably be the title of the book. And who would play me? I don't know. I keep thinking like I want almost a female comedian like a like Amy Schumer or Tina Fey <laughs> or Amy Poehler. I, I kind of like that rather than anyone's serious. So I'm not sure I can pinpoint it, but let's stay in that realm. Yeah, I get, I get the idea. Well, look, thank, thank you to each of you for talking so eloquently about your own personal stories and how mental health has affected each of us in slightly different ways. And I include myself in there as well. As I said, I, I felt on several occasions that I've, I've maybe bitten off too much 
Then I can chew, had some uh, nights where I just haven't slept at all, felt very pressurized and, and to the point of burn. It's difficult because we talk about things like burnout. There's no scale that you can look at to know. I think everyone's limit is slightly different and I think it manifests itself in, in different ways. And I've, as, as I've researched this topic, I think I, it's actually opened up a lot of personal development to me as well. So my thanks to each of you because it's allowed me to look at myself in a different way under a, and looked at my own reflection in a mirror in a slightly different way than I've done before. So thank you. So we've all kind of spoken about mental health and and how you know it's personally affected each and every one of us obviously when we come to as to how it pertains to customer success and I, I spoke in my intro there about some of the unique pressures in the role and there's no doubt it's a multifaceted role there's lots to do but sometimes it can be a really lonely space if for example you get a customer that, that's churned maybe unexpectedly there's a lot of increased focus and even with today with covid and maybe new business slowing down slightly there is an increased focus which i think we, we should accept that there is going to be more an increased level of visibility in our existing customers which in itself comes with more pressure that can lead to perhaps mental health issues as well now emma one of the things i was really fascinated about with your story is that you used to work in a sales role and sales is obviously known for being really high pressure fast moving and now you're in customer success so i'd love to hear from your perspective do you think kind of mental health and, and working in sales versus customer success do you think one is more conducive than, than the other when it comes to positive mental health yeah definitely sales is the probably most pressurized job that you can have not only is there constant rejection which really does kind of great at you as just a human with your feelings rejection is not great we don't like it as human beings so your whole day is full of that but not only that but you know that you're responsible for keeping that company afloat essentially because if you don't do your job there's no money coming in the business goes down but i think customer success it's a much more indirect worry in that we don't have a direct impact on that revenue coming in, but we do have as much of an impact in an indirect way because we are the ones that are cultivating that relationship throughout the, throughout the length of contract and maybe before and after, depending on, on how that relationship goes. I find that the relationships that you build as a customer success manager are so much deeper than you do when you work in sales, which then brings its own emotional attachment to it. When you are digging into people's, really digging into what they care about and what is going to keep their business alive, you have to have that emotional intelligence, that emotional attachment to be able to feel that for them so that you can put a plan in place where you're both rooting for that end outcome. So yeah, I think there's different pressures. It's, it's different type of pressure and there's different types of burnout. I think with sales, it's more of a, a mental, physical burnout. And I think with customer success, it's, it's very much a physical but emotional burnout. Yeah, it's, it's a great point. Maybe Alex, if I turn it over to you, I mean, you... I think your journey, and as I say, I've got to know you really well as now as, as a colleague, I think your journey over the last decade or so has, has just been incredibly inspiring to me. How have you found kind of working in that customer outcomes manager or customer success manager role, as others as might call it? How have you been able to reconcile the unique pressures of the CSM job alongside trying to make sure that you keep positivity in your, in your mental health as well? Yeah, that's a great question. I'll caveat to say that each day has its own challenges and I'm not always 100% positive. It's humanly impossible to. But for the most part, I, I like to say that I'm pretty upbeat. What I would say, there's a few things in my personal life that has helped me along the way. 
One thing is just recognizing that you can't do it all and you have to be okay with that. So it's like a posture of surrendering and just letting go of the results. And something that's really helped me personally is my faith. And I really like surrender it to God personally. And then I just let him take the results. And so that has helped me tremendously. One other thing that has helped me are relationships. So I do have mentors, which I also call friends. They're not just career mentors, but just people who I can process things with. And these are people who I can just be vulnerable with and just process things without a filter. And I find that, like Shari, it's like having a therapist almost, except your friend. Mm -hmm. And it's super healthy and it's important not to pent these things up. So with my friends, I talk about struggles with and frustrations with work and other just various other things in life that are too many to name and just unburdening that onto someone and knowing that someone's carrying your burdens along with you releases a tremendous amount of freedom in how you live your life at least how i live my life personally i think what you say is finding that outlet whether that's through mm-hmm. professional therapy or having mentors or having friends or, or other halves who you can kind of unburden on, I think it's really important. And something I've learned, I'm, I'm the kind of guy who tends to not communicate too well when things, I try and keep a kind of that old British stereotypical stiff upper lip, right? not let others yeah. know when actually I'm not all right. And I, that's something I need to work on actually and to help improve and actually tell others when it's not just because on the facade I might seem okay, doesn't necessarily mm-hmm. mean that that's right on the inside. Kind of Matt and Sherry, if I kind of turn it over to you, because you, obviously you are both leaders within customer success. And as we know, leadership can sometimes be a, a lonely place. Uh, people are looking for you to be that stoic person sometimes and carry the burden of that leadership. You might be aware of some things going on in the business, not everyone else is. And it, it can be a tough thing to do. Sherry, you've spoken about, and which I think is a huge strength, actually, vulnerability isn't a negative, it's a real positive. So how have you been able to marry up that kind of leadership role with still being able to communicate to others that actually, I'm not all right, I'm feeling vulnerable at the moment? Because I think what that does on a positive sense, that gives a signal that everyone else can as well. But I'd, I'd love to get your insights on that a little bit more, if that's okay. Sure. And this is, as you said, this is something I actually feel really strongly about. People tend to think, first of all, vulnerability is a weakness when it's actually one of the greatest measures of courage because it's the ability to show up and be seen when you have no control over the outcome, right? And that can be really scary for some people because it involves saying, asking for what you need or being willing to expose your feelings and expressing how you really feel. So as a leader, you want, like you said, you may be privy to things that your team doesn't know about, but you also want them to feel that they too can do this and not be judged. So one of the things I have said from the beginning is it's a no judgment zone. And especially if you don't feel comfortable in a team environment, speaking up about certain things, know that that one-on-one is, is there for you. And we can talk about things honestly and openly. And also it's, again, it's not just that, but putting my money where my mouth is, so to speak. So a great example of this is when we were all in lockdown at the, in, back in March, and later in March and beginning of April, that was, it took a toll on a lot of people, me specifically. Like I had some really, really hard moments and I wanted to share with my team, it's okay to not be okay. And I personally have a hard time asking for help. I am a strong, independent woman, human, and I can do this myself. 
And there's my own deep-seated reasons for that. But even in those times, I had a hard time. And when I did open up to people, my friends, it was exactly what I needed. And I needed to remember that. And I shared that in a team meeting where I started with, it's okay to not be okay. This is hard for all of us. And I started to share what had been going on with me. And I got really emotional in that meeting. And there was a small part of me that was like, oh God, I'm getting emotional in front of eight people on this call, my team. I had two other leaders. And then I realized this is exactly what I need to be doing. And I wasn't looking for anyone to necessarily give me comfort. I was trying to show them that it is okay to not be okay. And even someone you may look up to that's in a leadership position that I'm still a human being and I'm being honest and I'm expressing how I really feel. And by doing that, showing you that this is a non-judgment zone because words and actions, right? And it really has made a difference where some people in our one-on-ones have been totally honest about maybe not feeling confident about certain things when it comes to their work or talking to their clients. And we dig into why, and I try to help coach them around that. And it has definitely changed the dynamic in, in really positive ways. But for me personally, I felt lighter afterwards. And I can was, imagine it being very cathartic. Yeah, it was. And it's, again, it helped me personally on my journey of speak up when you're not okay, instead of just trying to do it all by yourself, which we as CSMs, like Alex said, we, we tend to do that. So it, it kind of goes with the territory. Yeah. And Matt, coming to you, I mean, obviously you lead a large team at SAP. Yeah. You've spoken really honestly and candidly both now and previously about some of the challenges that, you, that you've had. So do you think you've, you've been in customer success a long time? Do you think there are some unique pressures in CS that, that maybe lends itself to negative traits within CS? And how do you as a leader create that culture and environment that, along with what Shari said previously, where you, it's okay people can vocalize some of these concerns? Shari spoke amazingly well then, and I totally can relate to lots of what she spoke about. The, the, the pandemic that we've experienced over the last kind of 12 weeks or so has put us all under huge pressures. One of the things that I talk a lot about, and, and I may have mentioned this on our, our prep call a couple of weeks ago, uh, and it really helped me kind of make sense of a, a lot of it. And, and I kept hearing a lot of people saying, look, we're, we're all in this same boat. And they talked about this boat being this pandemic but actually, we're not. We were in the same storm, and that mm. storm was the pandemic. But everyone had a very different boat, and that boat was the circumstances that are very unique and specific to you. So your boat, similar to mine, Adam, is probably two young kids, homeschooling, wife, you with a job, your wife with a job, fighting over time and desk time and office space and who looks after the kids at what time. It's not easy. I'm, I'm not going to lie. It's not easy. But, but it doesn't make it any different easier or harder than somebody in my team that has moved from Brazil to Ireland, hasn't built up a network of friends yet, hasn't got a family in the same time zone and goes into lockdown and, and is very isolated and, and very lost. So everyone was, was very much in their unique boat. And I think that helped me really kind of get some sense around it because I just kept hearing, oh, we're all in this together. And I was like, I don't feel like that. I really don't. I feel, I feel lonely and very different to anyone else so that was a real kind of light bulb moment for me touching on something Shari said the first kind of few weeks of lockdown as a leader I felt very pressurized that I, I needed to keep the morale of the team up and and I was doing these posts on Microsoft Teams whether it was written or whether I, I'd go out for a walk in the morning I do a little video and I'm just like 
yeah, everyone, we're all doing great and keep going. And I know it's hard and I'm trying to be upbeat all the time. And I had a very honest conversation with one of my regional directors, who Lorraine, who's, who's based in Ireland. And I was saying, look, I just, I'm really struggling to do the video this week. I said, I, I, feel, I feel pretty shit. <laughs> Let's be honest about it. And I was like, I don't know how to do the video and get everyone up. And she's like, you know what, Matt, maybe people need to hear you say that. Because actually something that she said is very true. If you keep saying we're all great and we're all upbeat, people start looking at you and going, well, what am I doing wrong if I don't feel like that? So actually what people needed and what Lorraine rightly pointed out was actually, Matt, go and do a video, do your video that you like doing, but actually talk about how awful it was that week for you and tell everybody why it was awful. And you can talk about what the kids have been awful this week. Their behavior has been shocking. Talk about me and my wife. I'm failing as a husband because we can't support each other because we're both struggling with the jobs that we have, demanding jobs. And just being very open about that. And it was cathartic for me. But I think a lot of my team needed to hear me talk openly around the struggle I had that week. And I got great feedback around it. And that was really important. Well, I think what it also does, Matt, it flies in the face of, like, for example, people feel down and what do you do? You might go on social media, you look at Facebook and all of a sudden everyone else's life just seems so amazing. Now, they're probably having the same struggles as everyone else. But of course, on the outside, there are pictures of vacations. There are, they've just gone for a 10K job and look yep. and feel wonderful. And actually having, and particularly not just hearing it from a leader as well. And Sherry, you, you kind of raised this to, to show that vulnerability. All of a sudden people say, actually, I'm not alone. And when you feel not alone, you're much more likely then to open up to, to those around you. Alex, okay. is there something you wanted to jump in there and also say? Yeah, it reminds what Matt and Jerry said, reminding me of a quote that I recall. It says, people would rather follow a leader who is always real rather than a leader who is always right. Mm. And I've, I think authenticity as an individual contributor, I really value authenticity and vulnerability. Like it makes you so much more real. And I'm grateful to work for a company, Gainsight, who exudes that vulnerability and from our CEO all the way down. And mm. there was one particular moment where my manager actually just told me that, hey, I'm actually not doing very well this week. I'll be better next week. And just her telling me that just let down a lot of walls mm. for, for me and for her. And it's not an easy thing to say as a leader. And because of that, I've had more honest conversations. I, I said, hey, I, I, need, I need a day off. And she let me do that. And just having that culture of humanness, for lack of a better word, actually makes you more productive. Like mm. letting, allowing people to take time off when they need to actually produces more fruit and more results. Well, I, th I think this really leads nicely into the next thing I was going to ask everyone, which is the, the kind of techniques or hacks that you found if you're having a particularly bad day or a bad moment, obviously not to negate obviously seeking professional help and, and uh, going down that path. But we know there are certain things that we can do that always typically benefit our mental health. So I know, Matt, you're a big advocate for getting outdoors and even taking calls when walking around, taking a day off, exercise. Emma, why don't we start with you? Have you found something in your, and I know this is personal to each of us, but is there something that you found that, that if you're feeling particularly vulnerable or, or down, that you, there's, there's something that you do that, that tends to help that you might recommend to others? Personally, I think. It's one of those things I kind of do. I put my headphones in, I shut off the world, I put the music on as loud as it can go in my head so I cannot hear anything but the music and the lyrics. 
So there's no thoughts of anything except I'm singing and I'm feeling. The great thing about singing, I love it. And the, the reason why is because it allows you to kind of really get that feeling out. No matter what that emotion is that you're feeling at that time, whether it's happiness, sadness, anger, frustration, you find the right song and belt that out, you get it all out. <laughs> is there a particular go-to song? It depends on my mood. It really does. So I have moods where I will sing the whole of Adele's last album <laughs> and like just cry at some points and be a strong woman at other points and I'm doing it on my own. And then there's other times where I just sing songs about heartbreak and it depends. Do I want to feel strong? Do I want to cry and just get that out? Yeah. What do I want to feel? So it's really a kind of vehicle to release emotion. Is that right? Oh, definitely. Yeah. yeah. There's nothing worse than having that pent up emotion. And there's nothing better than finding a constructive way where you can enjoy yourself and just let loose. Excellent. And, and Sherry, I know you, in the past you and I have spoken about your love of exercise and how that's really been a huge benefit to you, right? Yes. I try to do something. I work out every morning. Well, now that the gym is closed, it's hmm. in my apartment and going out for runs as it's too hot out when I'm dying. But yes, it definitely helps mentally. Just that endorphin release certainly is a huge game changer for me. I notice if I would not exercise in the morning and just take a day off, I could tell the difference in how I start my day and how I feel when I start my day. So that for sure, some kind of activity, no matter what it is, it doesn't have to be what I do, but for anybody, some kind of activity. And if I'm having a moment where I'm feeling really frustrated or burnt out or something is triggering me, I would say how I deal with that too is maybe I either go for a walk or get in my car and go for a drive. I've always felt that putting on the radio, I almost don't even hear it, but it's cathartic to be lost in my own head and just let my thoughts kind of freely go wherever they go. And now it's more of, okay, what am I trying to understand what triggered me or why am I upset and where is the root of this? And just letting myself feel whatever it is I feel, that always helps me just kind of getting lost in my own thoughts. And Sometimes it could also be reaching out to a friend and being like, hey, you know, I'm, I'm having a little bit of a struggle today and just talking about it openly. That's a hard one for me, but I'm definitely getting better about it. But some kind of activity where I could just kind of shut everything out. I will say watching any videos with animals or puppies <laughs> is really helpful. Go to the dodo and look at any one of those heartwarming stories of rescue or anything like that. That is definitely makes me smile. but. One other thing to that point, though, is I really try to stay off of social media because, mm -hmm. like you said earlier, it can often be such an incredible highlight reel. And I really do think that people get caught up in that and then they start, it's a comparison thing. And it's that never helps. And that person could be struggling, but they're only posting things positive and look at how great my life is. And that is never helpful. So I have one of the things I have done in all of this is shut off all notifications from all my social media apps, taken one of them completely off the homepage of my phone. Like, so I don't see it. And like with Instagram, I have, you can set your time activity. So it's set for one hour a day. If I exceed it, then like it, I get the warning and then it goes away and I don't look at it again till the next day. Yeah. So that has been incredibly helpful because especially with the current climate, with COVID, with our political climate here and like, I, I can't. And that can yeah. definitely take a toll on you mentally. 
Absolutely. Thank you. And Matt, I know from the, the exercise perspective and getting out there and not being stuck at a desk for eight, 10 hours a day, you know, I've, I've, I've actually seen some of the posts that you, you've put on when you go for your morning and you, you post some amazing views when you walk around the lake in your, in your hometown. But so you, you do echo some of those same thoughts as well. Yeah, some great points by everyone so far. So the singing piece from memories is really interesting and it isn't something that I've resorted to, but SAP are very good with programs that we're looking at around supporting people in, in around mental health and on a weekly basis the uk market unit has a weekly sing-along and looks like sap people, could be a future and, venture for you emma then. well and, and i've never joined because it's, it's just not for me and that's and that's cool but it obviously is for lots of people so that's great i'm very like sherry i think with the exercise piece i'm you said she loved it i'm not saying i'd go as far as loving it but i know i am a better version of myself by exercising and that for me is I get up before the kids and, and my wife are awake and I, I go for my walk and some some days that's 10 kilometers some days it's three or four kilometers sometimes I listen to music sometimes I listen to podcasts sometimes I, I just don't listen to anything and that totally depends on where I am the mood and, and what I want to do the piece on social media massively massively helped me facebook was the one and i, I don't mind calling it out but for the bits that, that sherry spoke about one is the comparisons that you continuously make against people's lives that leads you down that path the political one i don't mind admitting i am strongly opinionated with my views around politics and the state of the world and what i think we're doing right and wrong and that was just infuriating me and building up frustration and anger and concern and worry for the world that I'm bringing my children into and it just wasn't positive so I had about three and a half years off Facebook I, I have recently come onto it again and already kind of regretting it a little bit <laughs> so totally relate to all of that but the exercise the walking is what keeps me balanced and level and I can feel that changing I could probably go a day maybe to a push but anything longer than that, and I can feel the frustration, the pain, the anger, the nervousness, all the, the things that I feel before I get to that place of depression. So th mm. there's those trigger signs that I'm aware of. And if you're into your mental health like I am, you start becoming aware of those triggers that allows you to react and respond to it before you get to that stage that isn't a good place to be in, mm. whatever that place is for you. Yeah, it's so interesting to find so many parallels between us all. And I, I'll echo that as well. Certainly, I, I, I find just getting out and I actually am my own worst enemy because even though I know what the right thing is to do, there will be days where I am only spending 10, 12 hours in a tiny office in my house, which is obviously where we're all, but you know, we're all remotely based. Actually, just moving, moving around my house, even, even if I can't get out, trying to sometimes switch the video off on a Zoom call so it is audio only, so you're not having to stare at your own image the whole time because it can be quite full on just doing video conferencing all day as well. So I really appreciate everyone's insights. Just to kind of finish the conversation off, really, I want to focus on what employers can do differently. Because clearly it needs people such as yourself to speak openly and be vulnerable and show that. But I think we can't wait for people within the team to put their hands up. I think organizations and employers have a responsibility to create an environment where not only it's okay to talk about these kind of issues, but also have mechanisms in place to help. Alex, maybe if I come to you first, we both work for the same company. Gainsight. And one of the things that I think we both love working about Gainsight, it's a very human first business where vulnerability is as accepted as a strength and not a weakness. And, and I remember acutely actually in the recent Pulse Everywhere event, 
Nick Meta, our CEO, spoke so eloquently about broken windows. Now, he was speaking about it both physically and metaphorically, that I think his son had had a a bit of a meltdown, as as my kids do regularly, and it caused a, a broken window, but used it as an analogy to say, look, we've all got broken windows in our in our lives and what they are. But if you were going to recommend to other employers out there what they could do to really help improve the mental health of their employees, is there anything that really springs to mind from your perspective? Yeah, there's there's two aspects. I'd say culture and the tactical side. Culture, like I mentioned before, is just creating that culture of vulnerability. And that really starts with the leadership. Even if, say, like, say Gainsight wasn't a human-first vulnerable company, and if I voice some of my frustrations and vulnerabilities, that wouldn't really trickle down throughout the company. But if it starts with the CEO and then VPs, directors, all the way down, I think just leading by example, by first admitting your weaknesses and showing that human side of your life really opens the doors for a lot of things. So I, I just really appreciate Gainsight's human first, human first culture. On a more tactical sense, what, what Gainsight did was absolutely phenomenal in that, number one, they gave us one day off each month for the rest of 2020. And I just think that, that that's super awesome. Like they, uh, they recognize that people have different circumstances and they're going through different things with political climate and COVID among many other things. And just having that time off is just truly phenomenal. We had like a kids camp, like a summer virtual kids camp for working parents. And I'm not a parent, but I can, that probably has lifted a huge burden for working parents. And yeah, just overall speaking openly about it, every, every week we have our all hands every week and we, we touch based on what's the state of the company, what's the, how are people doing, having open dialogue and fireside chats is just super helpful. Thank you. And Emma, what, what about you? What, what advice would you have to, especially given some of the experiences that you spoke about and, and so openly earlier, what could employers do to create that atmosphere? I think it's important to not make it a big deal from the beginning. Mm-hmm. I think that's where the, the, you have to start. You have to start with where you're interviewing. You have to start from that first stage of the candidate employee journey. It's one thing that always stood out for me with Reed is that although they could see that I'd had time off, they knew it was about my mental health, but that wasn't made a sticking point in my interview. Yeah. And it was never made a sticking point anything moving forward. So, and it was the first company that I'd interviewed with and I'd been out of work for a little while due to, you know, just everything kind of going a bit haywire at one stage. And I think I just had that confidence at the beginning where it wasn't, it wasn't made a big deal of. Okay, so we know you can do the job, but let's talk about why you didn't work for these three months. And I think it's it's about really, Alex is right, it's about instilling it into the culture and really kind of getting it from, as again, as Alex said, from a top-down perspective. I think we've seen it with our own team at Reed over the past few weeks where there were people feeling frustrated and upset and, and really kind of unknowing about what's happening in the world at the moment. And there was a real shift once line managers really started opening up, as Sherry said, about really kind of saying, I'm human too, and I feel like this as well. As employees and people that are contributors, we're always looking for that 
the boss to say, yeah, you're doing a good job. And I think that's always a sticking point. So to separate the the emotional, the mental from your actual work, mm. you know, just because you're having a bad day or a bad week does not mean you're bad in your job. Yeah. And I think that that's kind of a separation that a lot of companies don't quite get, that there has to be this culture around the way you feel and your your mental health doesn't equate to how well you can do your job. And I think that's an important message to put across to people that just because you have these days doesn't mean that you are bad or And mate, do you know what? I, I applaud what you've just said and the sentiments behind it. Matt, what about you? What 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 can SAP and others do to to kind of create and foster that culture? So I guess it probably isn't a surprise for most of you. SAP is very good at identifying areas that it can support their employees around and, and mental health is is one of them and we have a number of initiatives around that that, that helps and supports individuals helps and supports us as managers but actually I guess mine's probably a slightly tactical one because while we have this kind of great menu of things that we can pull out that will support us and this one being around mental health I think there's things that we do that we don't necessarily think about the impact of that. And I, I spoke about this on an, another podcast a couple of weeks ago, being a very aware of wording and phrases we use. And I've heard this lots at work in work situations. And you call someone Mr. OCD because they're really organized, really structured. And for me, I totally get it's an innocent comment, but actually I don't think people appreciate the impact that has on people that genuinely do suffer with OCD. If you talk about some person being really, schizo and you see that and how people refer to it and again people say it's a very innocent throwaway comment but actually the impact of that thing to managers say that and that has to be wrong managers hear that from colleagues their team they have to call people out on it not in a public environment but actually taking ownership and accountability of saying that those words aren't right you can't use those phrases so language is so important you're right and it is and while the question was very much around kind of, I guess, to a certain extent, the, the tooling, actually, I think for me, it's the personal accountability that everybody has to make sure they use appropriate languages. Someone spoke earlier about sick days and days off. We, we, talk about, we talk about mental health very differently to how we talk about physical health. And it's a very extreme example. But if someone breaks their legs, you don't tell them to go on, on you go. Don't worry about it. You'll be OK. Fight through it. It'll be better tomorrow. And it's the same with mental health. Why should you fight through it and everything will be okay and don't worry about it because actually you do need to heal yourself and whatever that healing looks like is individual to that need and, that, and I think that's something that, that's really important. Well I think that's the aim isn't it to, to kind of get the shift whereby how we talk about physical health today can transcend itself into mental health and they're not really to be any other barrier between when we talk about one and when we talk about the other and if we if we look at our ourselves in the mirror and the company's not just that we work for, but many others beside, it's, we've still got some work to do to really move it there. And so I, but I think so much of it is actually talking in the way that we're doing now. And Cherie, to, to finish off, what about you? Any kind of more tactical, strategic ways that organizations such as the one that you work at or, or others can really try and take on board to help their employees with this? Yeah, I mean, I don't want to. Everyone has brought up some really great points, so I don't want to be super redundant here. But not everybody, it may sound simple, but it may, it's not always simple. And not everybody understands how to communicate that appropriately, or it's hard. So I, I do really think that one thing that organizations can do is train their people leaders in this type of thing. Like, 
you know, vulnerability training or leadership, you know, around, like I said, vulnerability and courage and authenticity and what are our, like really truly living into the values that your company sets forth. Like we talk about them, but what are real embodiment examples and how do you train your leaders to be able to, to understand how to behave that way, what it means and what that shows their team and how that they can help coach their team around that. Because it's not always easy for people to communicate these types of things and how they feel. And I think if we arm our leaders and that we're the people that we put in charge of others with education around this and what this looks like, and maybe even, I hate role-playing in any situation, <laughs> but some kind of role-play, but put the, it should be mandatory. There's a course that every leader has to take or it's a once a year sensitivity training or something like that, because not everybody understands it, but giving them the tools to have in a toolkit to be able to address their team or and communicate it effectively and be effective leaders, I think that's important. And I, I, I think that's overlooked a lot because they give training around how to be a manager, how to do your job specifically, and maybe some other educational things around your specific role of what you do, whether you're a coder or you're a CSM, there are CSM certifications. But what about sensitivity or like I said, training around leadership and vulnerability and those types of things? And I think that is something that organizations should look more into and it would really, it would really be helpful. Well, look, everyone, I just wanted to, as we close the pod, just again, add my huge debt of gratitude to each and every one of you. I've been personally inspired hearing about your stories. It's, it's actually helped me a huge amount thinking about where, where I struggle as well and how I think about things. And if, if we've helped some people from producing this podcast and give them the motivation and ability to speak up or, or find some way of, of dealing with some kind of mental health issue that they may be experiencing, then I think this is a really worthy endeavor. Emma, Sherry, Alex, Matt, a huge, huge thanks to each and every one of you. Thank you for joining me today. Thanks, Adam. Thank so thanks, Adam. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Gainsight Game Changer podcast. Please follow, rate, and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. For more information about all of our episodes, please visit Gainsight.com. This podcast is produced and edited by StudioPod. To learn more about their work, go to StudioPodSF.com.